because of how we fill out this place and fill out our own spiritual gift and the way that God made us to, to do great things, this place exists. Like the only reason that we are able to have service here is because everybody is nothing like me. Right? Like everybody has their own gift. They have their own place where they fill in. And that's one of the most awesome things to watch. Uh, the verse that we've been pulling all this from is Ephesians 4. And it says there are five different series of gifts that God gives to the church. And these have been the weeks that we've been talking about so far. There's the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors. And then last, this last week, what we're talking about today is the teachers. And it says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So you figure it out. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. That's what we're talking about today. Teachers are the mind of the church that grounds it in truth. Teachers are the mind of the church that grounds it in truth. If you're thinking, I'm not a teacher, this doesn't relate to me, those two different types of things. There's vocational gifting and there's spiritual gifting. So part of the way that this works is within our hearts and the way that we read scripture, the way that we see the church, these are the people who see the need for precision and the need for like good execution. So teachers care about the way that things are presented. They care about the way that words are explained and the way that stuff is taught because teachers care about teaching. And the precision of the message, the mission of Jesus Christ depends on teaching. How do we know that? We know that because more books have been written about Jesus than anything else in all history. So that can get really wrong really quickly, right? Like anything that's wide, that widespread can get absolutely nuts really, really fast. So when we built this place, I'm going to give us something to think about. When we built this place, there was a problem with the roof. That was the reason why we needed to pull permits. That's the reason why we needed to spend $1 million outside before we ever touched the building was because we needed to pull permits to fix the roof. And so during that whole process, I'd come in like weekly or sometimes daily and just look at the progress. Like anything that was happening was good because if you were here, you realized that took so long. Like at the beginning of it, I had hair. No, not really. <laughs> but one of the things that we were able to see was the value of a roof. So go with me here. If you've been camping, like maybe you went camping this summer, or maybe you're thinking, I'm going to go camping now that it's eventually going to start to get colder. Think of the roof of your tent, all right? That's not heavy stuff. And so it's held up with one of those black, like hard plastic, light metal bendy things. And you just kind of stick it in one and stick it in the other. And it has like this U shape over the top of your tent. That thing weighs about as much as a newborn. Like that's all. Because the roof of the tent, if that falls down on you, it's a prank, it's annoying, but you're fine. This place, look above you, that is steel. That never moves. When the crane dropped it here, they put it outside. There was a huge hole in the wall right where the screen is. And then a big cart moved it inside because it's going to get stuck in the wall. And it's never, ever going to move. Like, that's the point. It doesn't move. And so when we planned all this, when the construction was happening, you look at those four little spots that are popping off of the wall. It's like 12 inches out over and then 12 inches back in. That sinks down four feet into the ground. I think there's a picture of it back there. Four feet into the ground, four feet left to right and four feet front to back. That's 64 cubic feet of wrought iron and concrete because we don't want anything to move. Camping, that thing can get blown over all the time and the little kids can come and unplug your tongue and everything falls over and you laugh. If that falls over here, nobody's laughing. Everybody's crying. Except for the people who are with Jesus now because you're dead. Like the mission of the roof is to send nobody immediately to Jesus. That's how teachers are. 
They're grounded in truth. 64 cubic feet of doing what's right, of saying what is right, of passing on what's right. Teachers are the mind of the church, and that's their job. And what they do is they make complicated things clear. Teachers make complicated things clear. I love errands. Like, I love the, the, you have 45 minutes. I need you to go here and get this. So Friday afternoon, Anna tells me, I need you to go to Costco. I'm like, yes, I'm in. Let's go. It's challenging. It's kind of like the church version of Grand Theft Auto. Okay, you got to go somewhere. You got to do something. And you got to come back. And you can't break the rules, unlike Grand Theft Auto. So she, she says, the list is on your phone. Just go. So I get there. And I pull up the list. And I notice, this is going to be great, because everything is already in the order of the store. So if you know my wife, she is organized like down to everything. She accepted Dave Ramsey into her heart at a young age and financial peace is her thing. She's baptized in the name of Excel spreadsheets and walks in new organized life. So I looked at the list and I thought, you know what? She might have done this on purpose or it could be totally natural because that is who she is. She makes complicated things like Costco totally clear. So seriously, I'm like a race walker and they're just getting everything thrown in and I didn't even stop for the avocados. Just kept walking, grab them, throw them in and we move on. Costco can be totally complicated, but you throw somebody organized in there and it all makes sense. You walk past the people who are stopped like three carts wide in the middle of the aisle just to look at socks. You just like, swerve around them and keep going to the self-checkout. Teachers make complicated things clear. And what we're going to look at today is some things that have gotten complicated. And there's a character, there's a couple in the Bible. And this is actually what the kids are learning about uh, over in grade school right now is this couple. And their names are Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, Priscilla is the woman, Aquila is the husband. And there's an instance where they've met Jesus, they're in church, and it says this in Acts, 14, uh, Acts 18, sorry. Acts 18, it says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speecher, speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria and Egypt. He had been taught the ways of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he only knew about John's baptism. So when Aquila, or Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately. You know, it's that moment where we're going to make something that's complicated, the mission of Jesus, God putting on skin to come into the world, to pay for our sins, to bring us into relationship with God. Like, that's complicated. And these people, this couple, is going to make it clear for somebody who already knows a lot but needs to know about Jesus. Teachers make complicated things clear. And the thing is, is teachers don't just teach for information's sake. People with the spiritual gift of teaching, so they're bringing God into it with the spiritual gift of teaching, teach not for information, but for transformation. So it says, after they pulled this guy aside and gently taught him, it says, Apollos had been thinking about going to Kai, and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. There were letters to the believers in Achaia asking them to welcome him. When he arrived there, he proved to be of great benefit to those who, by God's grace, had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments in public debate, and using the scriptures, he explains to them that Jesus was the Messiah. Like, we're just like that. We learn stuff, we apply stuff, and that changes everything. We learn, we apply, that makes a change in us, and none of us are done learning. I think about this. All of your life has been learning to do new things. You're born into the world. You know how to do nothing, and you can do nothing. And then you start to grow up. You go to school, and you figure out how to stay, physically stay at school. Later on, you learn how to stay in school. 
And then you learn how to do your job. You learn how to get dressed. You learn how to, you learn how to live on your own. You learn how to pay your bills. You learn how to do all this stuff. So for everyone who's sitting here thinking, you know what, I'm done learning. Don't push me. I got my box. I'm good. Two things. One is there's nothing more sad in life than seeing somebody who's just decided I'm not learning anything else. This is where I am. I'm done. And two, that's not even true of you because you're constantly learning things. Like you get a new phone and you're not going to leave it in the box. You're going to learn because there's a motivation to learn. And none of us also are done learning from God or from the Bible. None of us are done learning from God or from the Bible. There's something that stuck out to me this week as you know, you hear people and, and listen to stuff and, and everything. By the time Jesus entered the world, the spiritual people of that day had about 2,000 years of understanding who God was. They begin to learn this stuff in Abraham, and by the time Abraham came, or by the time Jesus came along, they had about 2,000 years of understanding who God was. Jesus gets introduced to the picture, and he completely messes up every category they had of what spiritual, what religious, what godly was supposed to look like. And so they lost their mind when it came to Jesus demonstrating God's love and God's power to normal people like us. Because 2,000 years, they had 2,000 years of backstory about this is how God is supposed to work. So Jesus lived around zero. So right now we're about 2,021. That means we've understood Jesus now for about 2,000 years. And we have a mind, we have a picture, we have a rationale about how God should be, how Jesus should be. And our problem is we don't understand how the Holy Spirit should be. We think that it's this thing that's going to run around, it's going to make people act all weird, or it's this thing that needs everything to be absolutely perfect for the Holy Spirit to do anything. Like we can't have it too hot or too cold. We need to have smoke machines. We need to have these songs and that songs and read from a scripture and all this. And that's not God. God is the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And the way that this works is at the very beginning of the Bible, God would just kind of show up at people's houses. Like you would call your name and boom, he's there. Just kind of the way that Genesis says, he hovers above the water. Like he's always going water skiing, never has any skis on. He's just kind of there. And then you read through the story. And eventually God says, I want you to build, he says to his people, I want you to build me a tent. So he goes from the terrain to the tent so that when they move, he can move with them. And his spirit lives inside the tent. And then they settle. And then one of them says, I want to build you a temple. God says, okay, build me a temple. This is what it's going to look like. It's going to be, it was amazing. And then the temple got destroyed. And everyone who followed God at that point thought that the toys are going back in the box. God has left us. The temple is destroyed. There's nothing that God can do. And so when God came into the world in the person of Jesus, every expectation of what he had done, what he was done doing, was shattered because now God had skin. Now God had hands that could touch people. Now God had a human voice that would speak to normal people and encourage them and bless them. And what Jesus started saying toward the end of his life was, I am going to go, and it is better for you that I go than I stay, because the Holy Spirit is going to come. And so Jesus went in that form. It was he died on a cross for our sins, his crucifixion. If you're not a Christian, this is why Christians love crosses. And we're going to get into it in a bit, is because that's when God stepped into our place and took on everything we deserved and gave us everything that he had as the son of God. Everything that Jesus had, that he, everything he had as the son of God, he gave to us. 
And then a couple weeks after Jesus died for our sins, rose again, after he rose from the dead, Jesus baptized his people in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came, it changed them, and what it went from the terrain to the tent to the temple to destruction to Jesus now lives inside of us. Like we think about the scandal, the, the enormous step down from that, from an ornate temple to Jesus who is perfect to us. And that's where the Holy Spirit is. What it does is it teaches us who God is. It teaches us how God works. It teaches us how to pray. It lives through us. It gives us new life. It's one of the reasons baptism is significant because baptism is is publicly publicly acknowledging the fact that my old life is dead, my new life has come. If you're here, you're a junior high or you're you're outside of junior high and you're a follower of Jesus, we're gonna have a baptism on September 12th. We've already got one person who's excited about it. If you wanna get baptized on the 12th, stop by the welcome table on your way out and we're gonna get you signed up for that September 12th baptism. It's saying, I'm dead, my new life is risen in Jesus and it's a good thing. And I think the more we talk about the Holy Spirit, the more pictures people get in their heads of stuff that's gone wrong. You get a picture of somebody running around and screaming or flopping on the ground like a fish or something like that. And, and I want to remind you that there's something in your life that you continue to go back to positively where you've had many negative experiences. That's restaurants. Right? Everyone here has had so many orders messed up. You've had bad service. You've had slow service. You've had cold coffee and hot ice cream and all this stuff. Everything has gone wrong at restaurants. But if you're going to celebrate something and you don't want to cook, you go to a restaurant. And you don't go because you're just going to ignore what happens. You go because you're trusting that there's something good in it, even though it's been portrayed negatively in the past. What we've talked about so far isn't weird in any way. And so what I want to do is I want to teach us around who the Holy Spirit is around two crucial, crucial areas. And yeah, has stuff gone wrong before? Heck yeah, just like restaurants. But we continue to go back, not because our expectations and our experience rules today, but because God is a good God who has good things for his people. And so the first thing that goes weird that God has a great intent for and great intent around is the whole idea of speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is when God talks with us through the Holy Spirit. It's the unknown language that builds up the believer. Like we've talked about spiritual gifts all month and and what we've come to more and more is that this is the part where our life dies and God works through us to bring good things. Like last week we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan. He's going through, this is a made up story. He's going through a really sketchy area of the countryside. He sees somebody lying there naked, beaten up on the side of the road. And so he covers him up, puts him on his donkey, rides him into town and pays for him to stay in an inn for two weeks. Like there's no part in that where the good Samaritan feels built up. He lost money, he lost time, he had to pick up a naked guy and he probably got blood on him. Nothing in that is good for him. And we all look at that story and say, yeah, that's great. Tongues is one of those things where it's actually good for us. The Bible says it builds up the believer. So how does that happen? One, it happens when the individual is praying alone. There's nobody to be weirded out. There's nobody to be freaked out by it. It's just you alone. Or you in the front row of the worship service with the speaker right next to you so nobody has a clue what you're saying. Like we do that for our own edification because it's between us and God. Second instance, is this the individual praying for another person where they don't know what to say? 
God knows. So I'm going to speak to God in a language that he's given me. He understands everything. God's going to tell my heart what to say as I'm praying in the spirit. Third thing, and this is what we see in the book of Acts, is it's an earthly language that's just downloaded to someone. For those of you who are really nervous about Spanish 1 this year, here's your chance. (laughs) Where the Holy Spirit is poured out and people from all over Israel who don't speak Hebrew show up and they say they're talking about God in our language. Like, this isn't right. And God says, no, this is what happens when my Holy Spirit is poured out is it's my language is shared to bring people to me. And the fourth way is praying in a group and asking for an interpretation. Or saying, God, what are you trying to say through these sounds, through these syllables that mean nothing to us? What do you want to say to our hearts, to our spirit as we pray? And that builds up the church through building up people. And the second thing, and where we're going to park today, because some of you have already hit the brake pedal like 15 times. Let's stop. Let's get out of this. We got a few more minutes and a few more songs, and then everybody's going home. And that's why we need to park here. That's the whole issue of healing. Life hurts, God heals, God heals through Jesus, and miraculous healings happen when God's love and God's power meet. Like I said, we are coming back to the cross. Healing is an effect of the cross. The simplicity of the cross is that Jesus endured one thing, he experienced one thing, he was beaten and reduced to nothing by one thing so that we could experience the opposite. And there's a guy who lived 500 years before Jesus who's looking ahead to Jesus and he explains this really well. In Isaiah 53, he says, yeah, it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought that his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion and he was crushed for our sins. He was beaten, here's the flip, he was beaten so that we could be made whole and he was whipped so we could be healed. At the death and resurrection of Jesus, what happened is is this term that we use often when we talk about healing. It's the already, but the not yet. So Jesus, when he died for our sins and when he rose from the dead three days later, what that meant is the power of sin, death, disease, and the devil are gone and canceled. Jesus rose from the dead, defeating death, which no one else has ever done, and then he ascended to heaven. No death in him whatsoever. So he has the authority over sickness, over cancer, over depression, over disease, all those things. But we're still living in a world with cemeteries. We're still living in a world where people die young. The last two funerals I've done have been people who were younger than my dad. That's not something that I'm interested in getting into. But that's the world we live in. What Jesus is talking about here is he has the authority over all those things. And while we live in a broken world where sin entered the world and held the door for disease and brokenness and everything bad that we can imagine, Jesus has the power to heal it. One of the things that's said about him in the book of Luke, and and I think the reason why Luke is significant here is because Matthew saw these things. Mark got all the stories from Peter. John saw these things. Luke is different because Luke came in after the fact and interviewed all the eyewitnesses. He was bankrolled to find out everything there was to find out about who Jesus was. And so he went and he talked to person after person after person who saw it. So if one person said it, but 99 others said that's not how it is, he's going to go with the 99. One of the things that he says is as Jesus went through life ministering to people, healing power flowed out of him. And so when Jesus ascended back to heaven, one of the crucial things that he did was he baptized his followers in the Holy Spirit. He breathed on him and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So he goes back up into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes. Everybody starts talking on languages. Chapter ends. 
two of Jesus' followers are walking through life, just kind of like you and me. Walking into Starbucks, and as they get to Starbucks, there's a guy who's lying on the side of the sidewalk there. And he says, you know something we're expecting. You know, do you have any gold or silver? What can you give for me today? And one of Jesus' followers, a guy named Peter, looks at him and says, I don't have gold and silver, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. This guy stands up and walks away. He's rejoicing. He's excited because that miraculous power that we can't control, that we can't manifest on our own, that we can celebrate is continuously poured out through believers. It's God's moment of meeting us. God's moment of saying your sickness, your injury, everything that you've experienced is well within my power to heal. So what do we do? We respond in faith to what God wants to do in us. We respond in faith to what God wants to do in us. So this is the moment, okay? Chances are like you've come in with something. And regardless of how long you've dealt with it, there's something in your head that's telling you, yeah, but today is for someone else. So um, a couple months ago, I was doing a bunch of sprinkler work with, and in my mind is the worst type of work possible. Uh, And I woke up the next day and my hand hurt. And two months later, it still hurt. So after two months, I decided I should go to the doctor. Uh, And the doctor told me, uh, yeah, you have arthritis in your finger. It's like, well, welcome to 40s. We have arthritis now. How much longer until we have the walker? Um, And so like every time I hit it on anything, not even heavy things, not like a hammer, it hurts. And I know we're talking about healing today. So I've got to go through the gymnastics in my mind. It's only my hand. It's one finger. It's not that big of a deal. But God is a God who's in a healing mood. So this morning in prayer with Pastor Aaron leading it, he said, okay, we're going to practice. We're going to do a dry run on healing. So everybody get with a partner, and you're answering the question that we're going to ask you if you come to the side. What do you want Jesus to do in your life today? So my partner, JC, she asked me, what do you want Jesus to do in your life? I said, yeah, all right. I got arthritis in a finger, and it's, yeah, it's this finger. So when the doctor says, which one? Oh, that's the best part of the appointment. (laughs) Can you pray for my finger? It's a moment of faith. It's, It's humility. Because seriously, nobody wants to admit there's something wrong with them. But it's a moment where God says, what do you want me to do for you today? I want you to heal my finger. I want you to heal the arthritis here, where even if I hit it on a blanket, it still hurts. And so I'm trusting that God's going to do that. Has he done that yet? No. But am I trusting that he's going to? Yes. So this is our moment, is we respond in faith to what God wants to do in us. It takes humility, and it takes action. But the payoff is miraculous. We get to step into the power and presence of Jesus. Let's stand and pray.